This is the morning brief from the Economic Times. From the peak of 2007 that saw Ratan Tata scalp the iconic Cora Steel for 12 billion dollars to the trough in 2016 when Tatas were forced to sell a steel unit also in the United Kingdom for just 1 pound yes really 1 pound to being back on top again in 2022 it's been a remarkable ride for the 115 year old Tata Steel and just this Tuesday it raced past Tata Consultancy Services Limited or TCS to emerge as the most profitable company across the house of Tatas for the financial year that's just gone by or FY22 This is happening for the first time in many many years For a manufacturing company beating a software giant like TCS also known as the cash machine of the entire group this is no mean feat It's Thursday 5th of May just 2 days from the ET awards from the Economic Times I'm Arjit Barman you're listening to Tata Steel hot again on the morning brief I'm absolutely delighted to have with us a very special guest a Tata lifer a numbers genius a friend a guide fellow bengali and cinephile as well as foodie koshi chatterji group cfo tata steel mr chatterji thank you so much for taking time out and joining the morning brief let me start keep considering it's ipl season and that too tatas are the sponsors uh, this time around so let's start with an ipl analogy the profit figures for the first 9 months of this fiscal and if one had looked at that tata steel was already on a steady clip the gap between tata steel and tcs which historically has been the group's flagship was narrow you were at 31000 odd crores versus tcs which was around 28 odd 1000 crores first 9 months of the fiscal but like cricket often we see teams choke in the slog overs and failed to sustain that required run rate but this time around team tata still hit a maximum you have beaten tcs with a higher profit for the first time in 14 years okay and that's that's what my my numbers show from a profitability point of view from a bottom line point of view if i have to ask what were the three critical things that actually made it possible so i i think uh, 
it's not about beating TCS. Uh, we are in different uh, industry, in different growth path. It's a global uh, footprint that TCS follows. We are more focused on India and, and in Europe. I think there is a post the acquisition of Europe and Chorus, uh, there has been a multi-year transformation process every year, which was not reflecting in the financial outcomes. Years after Tata Steel went ahead and acquired the struggling Chorus Steel in Europe, the Indian giant has finally given up and decided to sell its UK business. But I think there comes a time when we are more fit for purpose uh, to handle the volatility, vulnerability and uh, the uncertainty that the steel industry provides to any operator. So over years, we've done huge takeouts on costs uh, across India. Uh, we have in Europe, we have looked at working on the efficiency and productivity factors. Year on year, we focus on taking out about uh, between three to 6,000 crores of cost in terms of KPIs. It doesn't reflect always because you improve your physical KPIs, your operating KPIs, and then reflect that in money value through standard cost. And obviously the standard cost changes because you have uh, inflation, etc. but the KPIs keep improving. And the same thing happens in, in Europe too. Second, I think yeah. the integration planning in the recent acquisitions that we have done, uh, whether it's Bushan or acquiring the steel business of Usha Martin, and uh, we are integration ready for Nilachal too. I think these are the few reasons which, uh, even when we are looking at when, when, we, when we acquired Bushan, our debt number was over a lakh crore, and the focus was to ensure that we, we need to grow, but we need to reshape the balance sheet. And it has been relentless last 36 months in terms of focusing on cash flows, on profitability, on costs, on working capital, on overheads. And I think that's the... So there would be a time when the externalities would be overcome by the internal forces or internal strength. And then there would be time when there are tailwinds when you see that in full bloom. Correct. But let's rewind to the heady days of pre-Lehman. $12 billion buyout of Chorus. And then Lehman happens. The world came tumbling down. We've had several conversations about it. You know, the implications. The company thereafter posted losses in FY13, FY15, 16, FY17. Let me ask you a personal question. What was the lowest point for you professionally? So, so I think... Uh... You know, personally, I'm uh, less a rider on this emotive cycle. I, I know I work in this industry, which is a tough industry. So I think I, I haven't felt actually any low point uh, in, in those years. I only thought that always that there is a task to be done. And there were a lot of hard calls taken on portfolios, on pensions, uh, getting things right, continue to invest in India. See, those years were also uh, very difficult years for the industry as such, globally. And uh, that's why FI 13, 15 happened. You know, we had huge uh, uh, seaborne Chinese exports, uh, etc. So, uh, you know, those were, those were the difficult years for the entire European industry, difficult years for even in India. And uh, we just kept doing what we know we can do best. And I think that is what drives uh, not only me, but all my colleagues in the company. 
but the decision to sell scanthorpe for 1 pound that was like a screaming headline everyone's jaws dropped how did you react sleep at night that day no so again these were not erratic decisions these were thought through decisions uh, i go back to the first principle is that the right decision for the long term of tata steel the answer to that was uh, yes we evaluated and looked at it from all angles equally important i must say that we also worked in a manner where we were a responsible seller and uh, we we didn't drop the keys and and run away we took care of the employees we took care of other stakeholders and uh, we we understood that that we have to trim down the portfolio in the uk given the structural way in which the uk uh, demand supply situations was working and the in the customer end uh, the the impacts that they were facing so it was a structural strategic call and it was uh, done in the best possible manner and then just when things were looking up with this news of a potential mega merger with thyssenkrupp again it went wrong thyssenkrupp the union did not work out several reasons regulatory or otherwise was that the point when you and your ceo mr narendran decided enough enough let's fix it once and for all and let's do it all by ourselves so i think that uh, that merger that was proposed i think was the right thing strategically to do uh, europe uh, needs consolidation of some sort so it, it could have helped unfortunately it was uh, it, it was not the the management of two sides or the shareholders of two side uh, two companies which had any role in play but it was uh, more a regulatory fallout which is again extraneous plans to form a landmark joint venture between ThyssenKrupp and Tata Steel have been rejected by EU regulators over concerns that the deal would push up prices and reduce competition the EU commission had hoped to tie up between the two giants with help tackle overcapacity in Europe's steel industry but it remains concerned about the proposal then you don't have all your abilities to uh, handle external uh outcomes and we we uh, basically said uh, it it's not that we would have uh, given up if the merger hadn't happened because we were 50% uh, shareholders so we would have been as involved as as we are uh, we were before and after so i think it was more about then uh, if this does not go through what's your uh, next best alternative to pursue the same outcome and that's what we have done over the last uh, few years now you talked about europe and that's exactly was given the cue for me to ask you the next question what's going on in europe i thought asian games are in china football world cup is in qatar how come european demand is firing across all cylinders so there are couple of things which is happening not only in europe but across the industry globally i think uh, we are seeing the impact of uh, a supply constrained uh, steel industry once china has decided to focus on the internal markets and not play the uh, 
the seabound trade, which is what had caused the volatility over the last uh, 15 years, honestly. And because at one point of time, China was building capacity of, say, 50, 75 million tons a year. Then it became surplus to their requirements. So they started exporting and then uh, coming out of the whole climate change uh, initiative or, uh, or controlling emissions, they are now shutting down and consolidating capacity. I think it's the right thing to do. And uh, secondly, uh, I think uh, the supply constraint is hitting uh, the industry. So th that's kind of uh, ensuring that the supply-demand balance is, uh, uh, is restored. And, and that's what we are seeing in Europe. And there is, in recent times, the disruption that is happening out of, out of the, the war, in, the unfortunate war in uh, Ukraine. Ukraine and Russia both export a significant uh, volume of steel to Europe. And that's not there. And because of which, uh, the European consumers are starved of steel, which is why you see uh, export of steel, but there are quotas in it. So there are a lot more dynamics that are playing out, but fundamentally demands a lot more stronger. And uh, Europe has been a leader in the decarbonization pathway. And if you really look at uh, the transition to decarbonization, it, it involves a significant amount of capex. And wherever there is a capex, there is steel. And uh, therefore, you would find that the demand uh, trajectory in Europe will hopefully remain uh, very strong going forward. Also, I find it very interesting is that from a net production point of view, Tata Steel Europe has actually scaled down because you, you mothballed or you, you, you divested some assets, yet your revenues are going up. Is it largely because of what you said, the supply crunch, uh, no steel coming from Russia and Ukraine, therefore margins are going up and uh, revenues are also improving? So there are two factors in this, Abhijit. Uh, One is the fact that uh, we have anyway uh, scaled down our portfolio from where we acquired, but that got completed. We essentially became a flat products producer in Netherlands and UK some years back after we sold off Scunthrope and some of the other, other facilities. But fundamentally, the point that I was telling earlier that the revenues have increased, A, because the mix is better. Uh, we had a significant amount of commodity portfolio, which we have value enriched over the years in both Netherlands as well as in UK. And that enrichment in the mix itself uh, produces uh, the additional revenue. Uh, and, and that's something which uh, needs, that's, that's again, as I said, doesn't reflect on outcomes uh, when you have a downturn in the uh, cycle or you have inflationary issues in, in, in the industry. But when you really look at it in a stable state position, the, the value of the mix actually reflects on the revenue. And, uh, and that's been one of the primary drivers, apart from the fact that in recent quarters, the, uh, the overall price scenario has uh, certainly improved and restored and consistently remained the same compared to the past. Back to India, you did two acquisitions, actually three. Tata Steel announced uh, earlier the acquisition of Usha Martin Steel Facility in Jamshedpur for uh, 4,600 crore rupees. Tata Steel has acquired Bhushan Steel and banks, in fact, will be getting close to 135,200 crore uh, in terms of this entire uh, resolution. 
In January, the Tata Steel Arm won a bid to acquire a majority stake in NINL at an enterprise value of 12,100 Indian rupees crore. Now, everyone's wiser in retrospect, but when it was happening, I do remember the overall commentary from a number of peers was that, look, they're overpaying again, and the cycle is just turning. So, you know, were there any apprehensions midway or towards the end that, what if we face a chorus-like situation back in India? No, not really. I think if, uh, so, so when you look at uh, the acquisition that we did, uh, one uh, is the fact that we had just completed Kalinganagar phase one. We were working on the phase two. So we know what a build situation, the complexities, the time, the effort that requires to build a, a greenfield steel plant or an expansion of a brownfield steel plant. So we knew exactly what are the factors that go into build in the build model. Uh, equally important to understand that there were multiple uh, entities which came up in the IBC. And uh, uh, we actually zeroed on Bush and Steel because we felt that that's, that's the one that gives us the biggest value, being its location, being the facilities, being the product mix, the downstream portfolio. You know, these assets are not to be assessed on a quarter or two quarters. These acquisitions kind of give you the benefit over a life cycle. Now, I'm going to quote an analyst who recently said, since we have crossed the peak cycle in steel, the price trajectory is downwards. Makes sense, right? Even China will eventually taper. How are you hedging? against all that. So let me first address the hypothesis uh, which you quoted uh, the analyst. I don't think we have peaked uh, and we're not looking at uh, the same cyclical movements fundamentally because there is a structural change that has happened uh, in the steel world uh, fundamentally led by multiple levers or features. One is the whole decarbonization, climate climate change, compliance, uh, which has led to a lot of uh, capacity uh, being closed in China. Uh, if you really look at China, it may calibrate down to its own internal capacity, but uh, it is not that it is flooding the export market. Uh, and we certainly don't see it now, even as we see as a supply constraint out of the Ukraine-Russia situation. So I would generally say that the uh, structural requirements of the cycle in steel has uh, shifted or rebased to a different level. Uh, secondly, uh, the decarbonization initiatives and the cost of carbon in Europe uh, is something which is also triggering higher capex. So with supply being more disciplined and demand being more robust, I think uh, that itself carries a natural hedge across industries. And therefore, uh, we too, as a large market participant, both in India as well as in Europe, feel that the demand conditions will continue to be robust in the near term and in the medium term, and, uh, and the supply will remain disciplined 
for multiple reasons that I talked about. And uh, it's, it's a natural hedge taking place. We are getting into more value-added downstream products. We are expanding, for example, our packaging products, our tin plate. We are expanding our wire business. We are expanding our tubes business, our coated business, our cold rolling middle business. So I think we are expanding on the downstream, which acts as a, a hedge against volatility because those are value-added products, which has a value-added premium and the amplitude of volatility of those prices are much less than commodity. And uh, we are looking at higher and higher grades of steel which are uh, at the premium end. So I think uh, these are fundamentally the levers. Okay. How bad is the supply chain and raw material situation thanks to Russia and Ukraine? Coking coal prices, iron ore, etc. Prices are volatile, are rising. So short-term price pressures? So I think the as far as the... Um, the raw materials situation is concerned, which is primarily coking coal and iron ore. Uh, I think coking coal has been always been more volatile. It has, especially in the last six months, uh, it is it has because of the Australian climate situation, port issues, etc. We had a very sharp increase in coking coal prices, which went up past six hundred dollars. I think uh, iron ore, on the other hand, is more abundantly available, but uh, it also has its it reacts to the largest customer, which is China, and I think that's what it was happening. So I wouldn't be surprised, to be honest, if there is more volatility in cooking coal, though it should start settling down at lower levels. But at the same time, when it comes to iron ore, Tata Steel does have an edge over other companies to the extent that most of its assets are captive. That is a big relief at moments like this, correct? So I think uh, Tata Steel in India does have its own captive iron ore and about 25% of coking coal from our captive mines. In Europe, it's completely exposed. So 100% of coking coal and iron ore uh, is based on market dynamics. But on the other hand, in it, as we have our own iron ore, I would also say that as far as availability is not an issue, but certainly there are regulatory costs which have increased over the years on captive iron ore, and therefore that has uh, that has certainly added on to the cost profile. Okay. Now, are you done disinvesting your global portfolio? And what about simplifying the Tata Steel Group? You still have innumerable subsidiaries, associate companies. Where are we? on a simplified corporate structure? I think we've done a fair bit of simplification. Uh, we have taken out a lot of companies, more than 100 entities within the group uh, over the last uh, 24 months. You know, we will continue to look at uh, strategic options. Uh, for example, we have bought Ferrolize company, Rohit uh, Ferrotech. And uh, that is something which uh, is working with the Tata Steel Mining. Now, whether we keep Rohit Ferrotech uh, separately or merge it is a question that we will have to address very soon because we need to drive synergy, simplification, and not have entities just for the sake of entities. So, so it's a bit of an ongoing process. A large part of it has been done, but it's not the end. We'll continue to do so. Now, I want to understand one thing, Mr. Chatterjee. 
the management commentary seems to suggest that there will be deleveraging as well as capex now how do you do both isn't it always an either or scenario no so i think uh, you know we have uh, what's next for tata steel i think next for tata steel is an exciting 10 years ahead uh, we have now uh, with nilachal uh, you know four large sites uh, we are um, we've got into a new materials business and therefore we want to expand and enlarge those business whether it is the business in terms of graphene whether it is in terms of the other new materials that we are talking about especially medical materials so those are each of them are uh, have potential to become bigger and bigger over the next few years uh, in europe uh working on the decarbonization strategy will be very critical for us and that's uh, a big area of attention uh, to your question on deleveraging or capex i think i've spoken earlier that it is a triangulation of uh, actually deleveraging the balance sheet returns to shareholders and investment in growth capex so it's an optima that one has to drive because it's not one or the other uh we have done heavy lifting of the balance sheet and that's uh, been evident from the fact that we've reduced our net debt by more than 50000 crores in the last two years we will and continue to also invest in our growth capex and kalinganagar's expansion to 8 million ton is a priority and that's going on in full swing so our vision to build a 40 million tons by end of 2030 uh so i think these are all very important engagements for utilizing capital in the best possible manner and returning and creating value for shareholders finally can you summarize the future of tata steel in just three words well i think it's opportunities excitement and and hard work it was the summer of 2007 and i still recall the press conference the morning after to announce india's largest acquisition ever chorus steel ratan tata himself took to the stage but the tata steel stock was tanking investors skittish about the high leverage his group was taking on to buy a company which was four times its size a former colleague of mine asked him Mr Tata is the stock market getting it all wrong misunderstanding the long term strategic intent I do not exactly remember the answer but for 15 long years Tata Steel has trudged with a mission in hand pressure in Europe leverage drop in demand chinese dumping in between some even went on to describe the company as a basket case as homegrown peers like JSW steel edged past as the number one private steel maker in india it goes without saying the company has learned the hard way the initial heavy handed strategy backfired even in their greenfield plant in kalinganagar orissa today the steel makers turn around 5 years after it posted an annual loss is a testament of resilience it also shows that for a group like the tatas it is important to invest 
in both the old as well as the new in manufacturing as well as digital it's a fact that steel is riding the commodity cycle and most companies in similar industries are at their record highs but a decade of fiscal prudence is indeed paying off finally while tcs like most software exporters generate a lion's share of its business from outside of india and has not bought a single company in the past 7 years as the management has only looked at organic expansion tata steel in comparison has focused primarily on the domestic market upped its steel capacity by nearly 10 million tons a year in the past 4 years through acquisitions and greenfield atmanirbhar ha huh? you've been listening to tata steel hot again on the morning brief with me arjit barman thank you mr chatterjee deeply appreciate this episode was produced by surbi modi from et and varun kapahi from awaz sound engineers swati joshi from awaz and indranil bhattacharjee from et executive producer yours truly we hope you like this episode do share the episode on your social media networks the morning brief drops every tuesday thursdays and fridays thank you goodbye and good luck all clips used in this episode belong to their respective owners credits mentioned in description <laughs>